listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up guys? Welcome into the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Join with me, as always, it's Zeeshan. Yo. Alright, man. So, as promised, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, definitely check that out. We basically broke down our Western Conference predictions for the upcoming 2021-22 NBA season. Um, so if you haven't done so, definitely check that out. But as promised, on this episode, we're here to bring you our Eastern Conference predictions. And before we even get started, if you haven't already done so, definitely subscribe to the show on YouTube, especially on some of the other podcasting platforms. You can find us on basically everywhere, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us. So definitely subscribe because we will be bringing you more content as the season progresses. But the Eastern Conference is definitely different than last year. Like, I think the bulk of the free agency changes happened in the East. Some good, some bad, and some just like, you know, eh, who really cares? I mean, either way, right? Like, the Eastern Conference this year, for us to make our predictions was really tough. In all honesty, it might have been tougher than the Western Conference, I would say. Like, as in the, maybe the teams, there's better teams in the Western Conference overall, but the teams in the East are so competitive and, like, so within the same realm of each other that it's so hard to, like, analyze which one would be better in all honesty. Well, besides the top teams. Like, besides the top teams. like I Top should, two, I would say. I would say the bottom, like, the kind of the, uh, besides the top couple of teams, it's pretty much anybody's game at that point. Um, but let's jump right in and let's break down our predictions for this upcoming season. Starting us off with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, we are predicting that it is going to go to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're predicting about 55 to 60 wins. Uh, last season, they finished third in the Eastern Conference. And uh, as you all might be aware, they did win the NBA championship. Uh, and they brought back most of the pieces from that year, man. They still have Giannis. They still have Middleton. They still have Drew Holiday. You know, they even brought back Bobby Portis. You know, Dante DiVincenzo is going to be healthy this year. So they basically were like, they won the championship. They're going to run it back. And they're still going to be a dominant regular season team. Like, if we know one thing about Coach Budenhoser is that he is, is going to be a good regular season coach. And this Bucks team is just way too good. And the continuity as well. Exactly. I think you touched upon it basically, right? The continuity of it. Especially when we look at the rest of the Eastern Conference where there's been so many changes. The Milwaukee Bucks just won the NBA championship. They're clearly a top team with the talent and the roster that they have. And they essentially brought back the exact same roster. So that continuity, that chemistry is going to be there. They probably, I would say, have more chemistry than any other team in the Eastern Conference as it currently stands. And again, not to mention... They just won the NBA championship, so they were already a very good team. Plus, you add in the factor of the chemistry, and you're looking at probably the first seed in the Eastern Conference. Again, yeah. I don't I don't know if anybody else will be that number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, when we talk about championship debates, that's another story, but we're talking about currently as it pertains to the regular season. I mean, you can also even bring up there might be a championship hangover, but... I think when the type, when you're looking at a type of player like Giannis is, you know, when those type of players get a taste of championship glory, they want that again and again. So I will, will tend to think that the Bucks won't really have that championship uh, a hangover that most a lot of teams in the Bucks position have had. Yeah. 
Speaking of championships, uh, another team that is in the contention talks, we have the Brooklyn Nets being our second seed in the Ooh. Eastern Conference. Um, Hani's favorite team. Uh, no, the Knicks are my favorite team. We're predicting them around 55 to 60 wins, same as Milwaukee Bucks within that realm. Um, last year, they did also finish with the second seed in the Eastern Conference. And as I mentioned, they're probably looked at as the favorite for the NBA championship this year to win the title or at least to win the Eastern Conference. So, you know, they look to be that they look to be that team uh, that's standing last in the NBA. This year for them, the defense is definitely going to take a hit without Jared Allen. And they kind of, you know, they made that conscious choice not to pay Jared Allen. Which, again, makes sense considering the type of team that you have and you kind of have to win now. And they don't have money. Exactly. And they don't have money. Um, but it can be argued their offense got even better, which is an insanely scary prospect as it is. And when you talk about an offense that features a top three of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, plus you add on Joe Harris, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Patty Mills, the list goes on. All Millsap. Do you really need that much defense? Do you? I don't think so. Again, the Brooklyn Nets, the reason why they looked so scary towards the end of the season, minus the injuries, was because of the fact that they weren't the best defensive team. They weren't even top 10, but they were middle of the pack. And if you're middle of the pack with an offense like that, that is more than enough to win an NBA championship easily. Yeah, man. Like, this Brooklyn team is scary. Yeah, they are stacked. And again, like I said, their bench got even better, arguably. They bring back Blake Griffin again. They get LaMarcus Aldridge back, who after, you know, half a season of a hiatus, comes back out from retirement. So shout out LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, and then they sign Paul Millsap to help another veteran presence who will, you know, be that savvy offensive player, try to plug all the holes for you. And then he still has some of those defensive motor skills that even in his advanced age right now, he can still provide some of that. And then they got Patty Mills, who... We see every single time that he's in on the international stage how good of a great veteran, how good he actually is. He's he's insanely good, and for them to be able to get him to add on to this team already is absolutely insane. The only thing I think that'll hold back the Brooklyn Nets in the regular season as well as potentially in the playoffs is number one injuries, as we saw with last season. Um, You know, a guy like James Harden had never gone injured to that like that much in his career. And last season was pretty much, you know, hopefully for them, the anomaly. Um, And hopefully this season for them, he, you know, goes back to being James Harden. But then we also know the injury history of a guy like Kyrie Irving. And it's not, it's not pretty. Um, And then, you know, finally, also another thing that could, well, will impact them at this point (laughs) is the fact that, you know, Kyrie Irving and some of their other guys are unvaccinated reportedly. And we know with the new york state law you can't be indoors um in entertainment venues without being fully vaccinated or at least i think it's one dose of the vaccine at least so that could definitely impact them in the sense that you know they might not have some of their players playing for them in half their games and so that could definitely like i said impact them so pretty much what Dijon's trying to say is the only way this nets team isn't going to be a top team in the eastern conference is by unforeseen circumstances that's pretty much it. It's inj- it's uncontrollable circumstances, injuries or or COVID protocol. That's. I mean, listen, what the way the last two years have gone, unforeseen circumstances now are looking like foreseen circumstances at the, this point. As true as that is, the reality of the situation is the Brooklyn Nets have probably the best collection of talent we've seen since what 
the 27, 16, 17 Warriors. Like, yeah. I mean, just up, like you don't even have to go past the top maybe four guys. I mean, it's what? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Blake Griffin. I mean, you don't really have to go past that. That's already pretty good, you know? And then LaMarcus, LaMarcus Aldridge, Aldridge and then Harris. Patty Mills, Paul Mills. Like, this is a good team. And again, I've, I've jokingly called this the 2016 All-Stars versus in the Western Conference, spoiler alert, the Lakers, the 2012 All-Stars. Basically. <laughs> because, like, these guys were all top-tier players, you know, in their prime. And Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving still are in their prime. And LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, and Patty Mills can still contribute. There was a stat out there that the Lakers and the Nets have are have the most All-Stars ever by two teams. Like, uh, former All-Stars, technically. Obviously, they're not all in their prime anymore. Uh, but that was just a pretty interesting stat to see the shift that the league has gone into. I mean, I'm not surprised either, but it also kind of is just like... This Brooklyn... And we said it last year. This Brooklyn team needs has to win. If they don't win... They're going to be the biggest laughing stock, I think, we've seen in a very long time. Um, just because you can't get this collection of talent and not win, not be successful. And like you were saying, offensively, scary. And But defensively, they just got to be average. If they're average, like, bro, this team is going to be good. And again, like, even their players who are offensive-based, like guys like Blake Griffin who have never been known for their defense in their career. We saw last season when he got to Brooklyn, this guy was... Playing pretty well for them on the We also thought tonight. he could never dunk again. And next thing you know, he's dunking every time. Yep. Like, a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, we saw his defensive expansion in San Antonio. We've seen KD go from a non-defender to a top five defender in Golden State. So these guys are all very capable. Like Kyrie Irving last year was playing some pretty solid defense as well. So, again, these guys have to just be average on defense. The offense will take care of itself, clearly. Yeah. So, which brings us into the third seed. And we're predicting it to be the Miami Heat. We're predicting about 50 to 55 wins. Now, last season, they finished with the sixth seed, uh, obviously making it to the playoffs, but they dealt with a lot of injuries, COVID protocols. Uh, it was a very rough year for Miami, you know, And they, but they were still able to make it to the playoffs which and avoid the play-in, which is pretty impressive in its or own they, right. Again, they did proceed to get destroyed. But yes, they did get destroyed by the Bucs. But this season, they, they went in and they were like, listen, we're trying to compete right now. And they added some good, some major pieces. They added Kyle Lowry, the big free agent. Uh, then they also added P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris. Uh, they brought back Dwayne Dedman. They re-signed. Victor uh, Oladipo. They brought back Victor Oladipo to a minimum deal. And they also re-signed Duncan Robinson as well. So, and Jimmy. Yeah, and they've also re-upped Jimmy as well. Well, they extended Jimmy. Um, this is a very strong team. You know, paired with heat culture, this is going to be a very, like, defensive, heavy, tough-to-play team. Like, think about the guys who they have. Kyle Lowry, we, all, we know very well. He's a very tough-nosed, hard-nosed, gritty player. Jimmy Butler, same thing. P.J. Tucker, same thing. Just want a ring as well. Ring, ring chasing and doesn't care. Uh, Markeith Morris, again, another tough veteran Want to ring the previous year. Want to ring the previous year. Like, this is a very experienced, tough-minded team. Um, with with talent, man, and like think about the talent already. Like now you have a big three with Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler. The Lowry, like that takes pressure off of Bam Adebayo. That gives more freedom for Jimmy Butler. The Lowry and Bam Adebayo pick and roll is gonna be nasty. And now Jimmy Butler has more help. Like honestly speaking, this Miami is going going for it. They want to go and win the championship. The only question marks I have with this Miami team is really their depth. 
Now, we don't really know how much Victor Oladipo is going to play this season, if at all. You know, he might only be back for the playoffs because he needs to rehab and uh, get healthy, for one. Um, but besides, you know, like, for instance, we don't really know who's the, the backup point guard for this team. Like, they could theoretically play Tyler Hero at point guard. I don't necessarily love that idea. They do have um, Gabe Vincent, but I really don't see any reason why they would play him at point guard. But, again... With the top two talent that they have, the toughness and the culture that they've established, this Miami team is going to be really, really good. Plus, not to mention, you know, a guy like Kyle Lowry is, is a guy that's going to fit with any team, similar to P.J. Tucker. So, you know, where people would think this team would have some growing pains, I really don't see that happening for this Miami team. Yeah, I think, like you said, Kyle Lowry fit, fit right in. I think another point of emphasis they may need to you know, do something to work on a little bit is their inside scoring, I would say. I don't think they have many people that can score on the inside necessarily, which may be a point, uh, um, you know, to work on for them. But again, Miami is a very good team. Um, they're just very solid on both ends of the court, especially defensively. They're going to be very good defensively. And then, like you said, the heat culture. There's a reason why we constantly, whenever we talk about the Miami Heat, we harp on the heat culture. Because it's a real thing. We see it every single season, us as Raptors fans. We see the Miami Heat, what, three, four times a season, every single season. And, you know, again, like we mentioned previously, even when they were not a playoff team, they still gave every single team a run for the money. Why? Because it's just the culture that guys like Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra have established at the top. And that trickles down to their players, especially when they add guys who fit that culture, like a Jimmy Butler, like a Bam Adebayo, P.J. Tucker, Kyle Lowry, the list goes on. So the Miami Heat will always be a good team, no matter what the roster is, to be honest. But the fact that they actually have a pretty good roster, you know, I think they'll be very good in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah. Next up, the fourth seed, we have the Philadelphia 76ers finishing with around 50 to 55 wins as well. Uh, now, last year, they did finish with the best record in the Eastern Conference. However, the major difference this year is the Ben Simmons situation. And Ben Simmons is reportedly adamant that he's not going to play another game for the Philadelphia 76ers and that he's going to eat, uh, he'll pay up whatever money he has to in terms of fines. Um, so, another great clutch sports move i would say um yeah man they definitely have a reputation at this point um the only other point guard on the team is basically tyrese maxi which i mean he's a nice player he's a he was very good for them um he has a lot of potential as your starter but again as your starter if you want to contend for a championship right now which with joel Embiid on the team you kind of have to um and yeah like i said tyrese maxi is their only point guard right now so they definitely need to do something else to address that for the Philadelphia 76ers, without Ben Simmons, um, the questions for them are, number one, will Joel Embiid be healthy? Because we know, you know, on the court, he's an MVP candidate. Will he be healthy, though? How many games will he play? And that's always a question with him every single season. Number two, is Tobias Harris going to be consistent? Tobias Harris, we've seen, can be an all-star player. He can also be a low-end starter. You know, he varies in between somewhere. We don't know how he's going to play. And, you know, for the most part, I'm guessing he's probably just going to be what he has been for the past few years, which was all right. But now you need somebody who will make up that presence of Ben Simmons. And no matter how much we criticize Ben Simmons, the fact is that he's by far the best playmaker on this team and a top two defender on this team. Where are you going to get that production from? 
Are you going to get from Tyrese Maxey? I don't think so. Are you going to get a defensive player that you're a candidate type of level of defense from Tyrese Maxey or anybody else minus Joel Embiid? I don't think so. Like I mentioned, the playmaking, you're not going to be able to replace that. So where are you going to replace Ben Simmons' production from? Not to mention the 15 points that he gives you per game, which... Again, 15 points might not seem a lot for a guy like Ben Simmons, but when you're asking Danny Green to chip in more points, that's kind of a lot, bro, right? So, you know, not to mention, again, they replaced Dwight Howard with Andre Drummond. Enough said. Still, why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Again, Andre Drummond on the same team as Joel Embiid. That is just the irony of it. Um, Again, their record and the way they'll play this season just basically depends on if and when Ben Simmons is traded. And what the 76ers will be able to recoup. Now, if they're able to get an all-star level player, you know, hey, their championship contention window is definitely still open at that point, right? But it's looking like they might not be able to do that. So, again, it depends on what happens with the Ben Simmons situation. And, you know, at the very least, we know that Joel Embiid will be there. And he'll get you to more than a few wins by himself if he has to. Yeah, listen, we are, everyone who's listened to this show knows where... I and we stand on the Ben Simmons situation. We honestly just think he's tanking his trade value and just trying to do what a lot of clutch sports sports athletes do and just force their way out. And that's all fine, but the team is not really willing to to budge either. So it's like both sides are just butting heads. And it just looks like a messy situation. And Philadelphia, and I guess Daryl Morey, is just confident that this roster will go in and they're still going to win games. And again, it's still a good roster. They still have an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid if he stays healthy. They have some good wings. They have Tobias Harris. Uh, Seth Curry was really good. Danny Green was also very good for them as well. You know, don't know what Andre Drummond is good for. Um, but again, like they do have Tybo, Maxi, Shake Milton. Like they, it's, Furcon. Furcon Court. Right? They still ha- it's still a good team. But again, the Sixers aren't trying to just be a playoff team. They're trying to win a championship. And the fact of the matter is that it's either the Sixers are going to trade Ben Simmons and still get some decent pieces, or they're going to lose Ben Simmons and get not as much value for Ben Simmons at the end of the day, and the Sixers are going to be worse for it. So I think what we're basically saying is the drama surrounding this team is just going to lead to them not being as good. And also, other teams in the East got better. Like you can argue Milwaukee is, was, is and still better than, than Philly. Brooklyn, we know how good Brooklyn is going to be. And, you know, Miami, just because of that continuity factor, well, not even the continuity, the, the, the mesh, the, the, the chemistry that they can develop faster than what a team like Philadelphia would have. You know, imagine if they lose Embiid, they're pretty much screwed. Basically, yeah. So, yeah, it's, they're still going to be good enough to win games, but it will be a rocky start until they trade Simmons. It's going to be rough for the Sixers. Uh, and if they can't get anything good back for Simmons, then it's definitely going to be a rocky season for them. Yeah, for sure. Which brings us into the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, this one is going to might surprise some people based on how we've talked about this team. But we're going to say it's the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the well, Hawks, how you've talked about this that team. Is a, yes, but I'll say why. The Atlanta Hawks finished with the fifth seed in last year, last year's Eastern Conference. Um... And they brought back pretty much the same team as last year that made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I know I've said in the past we don't put asterisks on championships, but I never said asterisks on Eastern Conference Finals birds. So yes, there's an asterisk because of the reality of the situation is Philadelphia choked. They should have and probably would have beaten Atlanta had 
and B not got hurt, which is again the usual situation. I mean, here's the thing about that. And Simmons okay. wouldn't be too afraid to shoot a freaking layup. Okay, well, here's the thing about that. I'll have to disagree with you. I think Atlanta just outplayed Philly. When we talk about the fact that Philly choked, Philly didn't choke if that's been their model for the past however many years. At that point, that's just who they are as a team. That's not necessarily choking. That's just their identity at this point. But listen, at the, 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 the fact of the matter is the Sixers were, you know, up in that series and probably should have closed the deal, but they didn't. And credit to Atlanta, they took advantage and they won. But do I see them doing something like that again? No. So why do we have them as the fifth seed? Well, they brought back the same team as last year. Chemistry is still going to play a factor, and they definitely have more chemistry and more confidence than last year because of how far they got in the playoffs. They're still going to be a fun and up-tempo team to watch, and they're still going to win games. Now, defensively, they're still pretty weak, in my opinion, and I'm still not 100% convinced on Trey Young, especially after the contract that he was just given. Again, I know he played well. I still think there's some flaws, especially on the on the defensive side of things. But the reality is they're going to be they're going to have some great chemistry. Their offense is still going to be elite. And the defense can still be average. Like, they still have Capella holding it down in the middle. And they have some good wings. Like, I do like DeAndre Hunter, who was actually hurt during the playoffs. And he would, he was great in the games that he played last season. He yeah. was awesome. He's great. And he's getting better as well. And then Onyeka Okongu is another defensive guy. Again, not really good on the offensive end. But on this team, he's really valued for his defense. So, again, the Hawks, if they're average... And if their offense can replicate what they were doing in the playoffs, they'll definitely still be uh, a good team in the, in the Eastern Conference. Well, two points I'll say. Number one, in regards to Trey Young, he does, does he have his weaknesses? Yes. But the contract that he got, that's kind of the standard market of what you're going to do with a player like him at this point. That's kind of the market value of Trey Young. Um, number two, I would say, like you mentioned, it's just the continuity of it, right? The Atlanta Hawks are bringing back essentially the same team that finished fifth last season. And they can definitely do it again. They're, they're still a very good team, at least offensively. But then one player I'd like to talk about a little bit more, you mentioned, is DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter was putting up, I think, what was he averaging? Like 20 points or something like that in the games that he was playing. And he finally looked like the DeAndre Hunter that played in, where is he from? Virginia, I think, if I remember correctly. DeAndre Hunter looked really, really good in the games that he played, especially in the playoffs, the, what, two, like the couple of games that he played in the playoffs as well. We already knew he was a very good defender. That was the primary reason why the Atlanta Hawks drafted him. But his offensive game has also improved mightily in the NBA. And so for him, if he's able to take that next step forward, which he's shown flashes of doing last season, him next to a guy like Trey Young, is huge for the Atlanta Hawks in terms of, you know, upping their timeline of what they want to do. And then you factor in guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Clint Capella has been amazing for them. Um, another year under Onyeka Okongu's belt. So the Atlanta Hawks... Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter was absolutely amazing for them in the playoffs. He he saved them a couple of times in, in the playoffs. So this team, I think, can has, has a good amount of potential. Um, and they could definitely be like a middle-of-the-pack team in the Eastern Conference at the very least. Um, and that brings us to our sixth seed. We have the Boston Celtics finishing with around 44 to 47 wins, I would say. Um, last season, they finished seventh in the Eastern Conference. Again, 
it was just a very rough season for them overall, as was the case with basically every other team in the league, right? Um, some of the key guys they lost, though, were Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, and Daniel Tice. Now, again, they didn't really lose them besides Evan Fournier. Kemba and Daniel Tice, they t- traded away. Um, Kemba was not great for them, but we know what kind of a player he is. You know, even though he was never able to replicate his production that he gave you in Charlotte, Kemba was still a 20-point guy, a 30-point guy on any given night. And frankly, the Boston Celtics never replaced that. Same thing goes for Evan Fournier, a consistent 20-point guy. The Boston Celtics never really replaced that. And then when you talk about Daniel Tice, he was a very valuable part of the Boston Celtics, probably one of the my favorite players to watch on the Boston Celtics for the past couple of years, just because of the amount of things he did for them on both sides of the court. And so for them, I think they're definitely going to miss those guys, even if they were the ones who kind of gave them up. Instead, they replaced them with Al Horford, who I know was great last time he was in Boston, but it's been a couple of years since then. And that's definitely not the same Al Horford you're going to get. And then the rest of the guys, they got Juancho Hernan Gomez, which was a solid move. Um, and then they got Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson to kind of fill out their guard depth. And so, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson are probably going to be guys off of the bench considering they probably want to start Marcus Smart. Um, and, you know, we've talked about Dennis Schroeder, what he brings to the table for Boston Celtics as long as he doesn't hijack the offense for himself. He can be okay enough. Josh Richardson, we know, has kind of been a massive disappointment in his career, unfortunately. And so... They're they're just not. They'll still be a very decent team, especially when we talk about Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Time Lord. Their core. That's still a very good core to build around. But unfortunately, the rest of their team is just not that great. So again, it's not going to be a terrible team. It's not going to be a great team. It's just kind of a lot of mismatched parts. And I would say the one thing that could probably get this team to that next level this season is if Ime Udoka is a really good coach which again he has a great reputation around the league but being a head coach is another thing from being an assistant coach so the boston celtics we'll see what happens with them they're just eh. i mean i think again a lot of you based on that type of that type of uh you know description on the celtics would be wondering why do we have them as the sixth seed and that's mainly just because they have the one of the a top five player in the Eastern Conference in Jason Tatum. Like, arguably, this guy is, he is, I think he's borderline, he's about to crack the top 15, top 10 in the NBA. In terms of just an overall talent, that's how good this guy is. And he's only getting better, man. Like, Jason Tatum is only getting better. Um, I mean, he's only, like, what, 23 right now? Dude, he's super young, man. Like, he, like, I don't even think he's 23. 23. Okay, he's 23, 23 years old. Like, that's, it's incredible how young he is and how talented he is. And how Boston was able to, to you know, finesse Philly, pretty much finesse Philly into drafting and, and getting drafting him. That's really the only saving grade. And also Jalen Brown and Marcus, well, they, like their core is kind of the reason why we're kind of putting them ahead. Other than that, this roster isn't is pretty average and mediocre in in terms of the rest of the, the, rest, the top echelon of the conference. And you know, it's kind of funny because Danny Ainge for years has had all these assets had all this potential to go make these big moves to build a championship team in boston and he just never did and brad stevens now that he took over as president 
really played it safe, in our opinion at least, like in terms of his moves. And I don't know how smart that is. You know, maybe he's trying to evaluate. Maybe he's trying to, you know, slowly establish himself as the pre- as the ba- president of basketball ops. But it seems like you know what it seems like to me what Brad Stevens is doing because of the fact that he's looked at as the new guy and he's being evaluated based on what he's doing. He's trying to be like, hey, I'm not making any mistakes. Sure, I'm not doing anything spectacular, but at least I'm not making any mistakes like a lot of these other teams, right? Which, I mean, hey, we'll get you a contract, but will this get you to that next level? Yeah, and I think, again, when you're talking about like Aime Odoka, again, great reputation around the league and has been a great assistant, but we need to see him actually coach in, at the NBA level. Um, but yeah, Boston right now, six, as we're saying, at the sixth seed. Which brings us to the seventh seed. And this is where we're bringing in the Chicago Bulls. Now, the Bulls are predicting about 42 to 45 wins. Last season, they finished with the 11th uh, seed in the Eastern Conference. But man, this, and they were pretty disappointed by that result. I will say, Arturis Karnasovas was pretty, really disappointed. And I think. Based on their moves in terms of going after and getting Nikola Jokic, Nikola Vucevic, um, trading a fir- their first rounder, which ended up being a lottery pick, um, it definitely hurt. And they decided to completely overhaul the team. They went out, were very aggressive in free agency. They added Lonzo Ball, added DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, Derek Jones Jr. Like they really bolstered their star talent on their team. On top of that, the fact that Levine is now coming into a contract year. And he wasn't really happy that an extension wasn't wor- worked out. So he's going to be motivated to play well. Uh, and now they're going to get a full training camp with, with Nikola Vucevic. It's a, it's, a go, it's a go for a season for the Chicago Bulls. And we've talked about it when we were kind of talking about the free agent moves. This seems like a boom or bust type of season for the, for the Bulls. Things can go, in our opinion, can go really well. Or things could just go really, really poorly. And that really just become, comes down to their fit. Like, how well is this team going to fit together? Because now you're bringing in similar type of players in DeMar DeRozan and Levine. Levine can obviously shoot, but he needs the ball in his hands. DeMar, mid-range assassin, but he needs the ball in his hands. Vucevic, again, can spread the floor, but would you, would you want him to constantly be parked at the three-point line? Again, like, like you just mentioned, right, Nikola Vucevic, he's more than capable of spreading the floor for you, but are you really getting that much value from him? You're paying the guy like 30 mil a season. Yeah. All right, is that what you're paying him for? Yeah. So, again, like you got to figure that out. And the, I think the, the player that benefits the most is Lonzo Ball because he gets to do what he is best at. Um, but otherwise, this Bulls team offensively is going to be a weird fit. And also, the main question with the, with the Bulls, how much worse will they be defensively? They did lose Thaddeus Young. They did lose Al Farouk Aminu. They, did, they, they lost some good, some decent defenders. At oh, the, I mean, Al Farouk Aminu didn't even really play for them. I mean, think about it this way. They had the 11th, they were 11th in defensive rating last season. Which um, was a big surprise, mind you. Yeah, it was definitely a big surprise. So the question is, how much worse are they going to be? Because they de- definitely didn't get better defensively. If they stay around the same and their offense can, can improve, definitely the Bulls can be a playoff team. But I think... The reason why we have them at seventh is because they, they got to work that chemistry out. They got to figure a lot of things out, and that might mean losing some games early on. Well, when it comes to defense, obviously, I think the main guy the Chicago Bulls are now looking at to be that next level defender is Patrick Williams, yeah. who showed he's more than capable of doing it. But the question is when? Will he be doing that right now or in the future? 
So Patrick Williams will definitely be that guy in the future, but right now there's still some questions there. Um, you know, the rest of the guys, like Zach Levine, I mentioned in last week's episode, he's shown that he can be a pretty solid defender when he's not, you know, having to do everything on offense, which he won't have to do this season. So could we see a big defensive jump from Zach Levine? It's definitely possible. But like you said, the defense is not the strength of his team, and the offense will be what's mostly looked at. Um, and, you know, like you said, it'll be... It'll come with its hiccups, and which is one of the main reasons why we're, you know, giving them that seventh seed. They're probably going to lose a little... I would say a good amount of games in the beginning of the season, just trying to integrate all the new faces together. Another reason I think we, I would say we have them seventh is just because everyone else is so good. Everyone's a lot better. Well, maybe besides Boston, but again... Yeah, besides Boston, but again, they have that continuity factor exactly. compared to Chicago. Exactly. Right? So when we're talking about the rest of the, rest of the Eastern Conference, I know people, a lot of people will come at us about our ranking of the Chicago Bulls and say, look how talented this team is. Well, that's definitely true, but when you're comparing this team to the rest of the Eastern Conference, the rest of the Eastern Conference is also pretty damn good. So, you know, again, based on the talent on paper, do the Chicago Bulls deserve this? No, but we have to factor in all of the factors that come with running an NBA team. Yeah. Moving on to the eighth seed for the Eastern Conference, and which will be our final playoff spot. And again, this is all very dependent on the NBA play-in tournament because of the fact that the eighth seed doesn't really matter anymore. It's just whoever the number of the last seeds are, they all go at it in the play-in tournament. Whoever wins the most games wins, right? So the seventh, eighth seed, ninth seed, tenth seed stuff are all it's kind basically of one seed. Like it's basically one seed, like you said. Um, but we're gonna have to, you know. Uh, what what's the what's the Rank term? Them? No, no. What's the what's the evaluate? What's the term when we um go for a home? Like root for a home team. Oh, okay. we're gonna have to go with the homer pick. Homer pick. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was missing the word. Yeah, we're gonna have to go homer here. Um, we're saying the Toronto Raptors finishing with around forty to forty five wins. Um, now last season they did finish with the twelfth seed in the Eastern Conference, but before that. They were at one point top four in the Eastern Conference before the COVID and the injuries hit, and they really hit badly, plus the fact that they were in Tampa and not even at home. So when you talk about the Raptors last season and, you know, talk about, oh, the Raptors aren't going to be good this year. It was 72 road games. They played 72 road games last season with a crowd who constantly cheered against them. So, again. against Miami. Like, seriously, that one hurt the most, man. That was bad, man. But yeah, um, the Toronto Raptors are basically just looking for their core three guys, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam, to continue their growth, to just bring them back to that Raptors team that we know that they are, you know, that culture, that Raptors culture. Um, For the Raptors, because of the fact that they overhauled this team so much, particularly with shipping out their best player in Kyle Lowry, they have a really inexperienced team, you know, Precious Achua, all these guys, Scotty Barnes, Delano Benton, all these guys are all very, very young, but they are very talented. We've already seen the videos of guys like Scotty Barnes, uh, Gary Trent Jr. playing pickup ball in Miami. Um, you know, we saw Precious Achua in the summer league, how great Beast. he was. So, and, and the Olympics. Yeah, and the Olympics. So again, this is a very young team, but this is a very talented team. 
who under the guidance of a guy like Nick Nurse could really flourish. And, you know, Nick Nurse, I think people have forgotten how good of a coach he is just because of how hell last season was. But Nick Nurse is a very good coach that will get the most out of his team. And we know what this team represents and the culture that they have. They'll definitely make some noise. In terms of the on-the-court stuff, their offense is going to frankly be trash. Let's put it how it is. They're going to be a bottom 10 offense. And most likely, they're going to be a bottom 10 offense. But again, like I said, their defense will probably still be very good. Especially with Nick Nurse leading them on the defensive end. You know, Scotty Barnes... Projected to be a project player on the offensive end. Defensively, though, is another story. And we've already seen how great of a defender he is. Not to mention you have guys like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, who are all top defenders at their positions. And finally, we actually have a center rotation this year. And we saw how much of a difference last season having actual centers just play. visually it's <laughs> just not even just just from the scoreboard it's visually how much better it how, was. how much of a difference an actual center rotation makes fyi we had aaron baines and alex lynn as our center rotation last season this year we have cam birch and Presa sachua again not the greatest center rotation but it's a world of difference between alex lynn and aaron baines yeah i mean l- listen Y'all are going to say, I'll say what you want about the best being a homer pick. I still think this is a factual pick. In, in terms of what we know from the Raptors, they have a culture of winning. They still have a core. When we said it for the Celtics, and the Celtics aren't that much better than the Raptors, and I don't think they are really that better besides Jason Tatum, the, the core and the continuity will take you will win you games in the regular season. Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, they are good young players. Who can still get better. Like, think about it this way. Fred Van Vliet is now moving to his natural spot of point guard. And he will be running the offense now. Who knows? He might be better. He showed flashes last season of his growth. It wasn't always pretty. Let's just say It that. wasn't always pretty. But again, we know Fred to be a worker. He, he'll get better. Pascal Siakam. If he gets that jump shot going, who knows? We know how good Pascal can be when, you know, when he's feeling it. And then OG Ananobi. I think he's the biggest wild card because now we don't have a guy like Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry who were taking shots away. Now we get to truly see what OG can do offensively. And in all honesty, I think OG's replaced Pascal Siakam as the guy for the future in a lot of Toronto Raptors fans' eyes. I don't know about that yet. We got to see what OG does with it. But in terms of the guy that I think we should watch is that that's the guy. OG is the guy we should be watching right now. And again, I still think, the, and you were saying about the offense, I think Nick Nurse will overhaul the offense. Now that he actually is able to run competent five-man lineups <laughs> and not just have four guys on the court at a time, oh, I definitely think the offense will be better. And I think it, it's going to be different. But I think with a guy like Nick Nurse running it and with the talent that the team has, I think they'll definitely still. Get, I think they can be a playoff team. I for sure think they can be they can be a playoff team, or at least be competitive to make that play to make the play an interesting. I will say that, which brings me into the next team, and this is going to spark a lot of controversy and debate, except not with me. Um, <laughs> so obviously, with the Raptors and the Bulls making it to the playoffs this year, we had to kick a couple of teams out. First and foremost, the New York Knicks. Uh, we predict them to be about 40 to 45 wins. Last season, they finished with the fourth seed. Now, 
I've said it before. There are a lot of teams last season that benefited from circumstances. And I think the New York Knicks were a big beneficiary of circumstances. They had pretty much a perfect season. You know, not a lot of injuries. Not not a very tough schedule. Uh, not a lot of COVID protocol stuff, honestly. Julius Randle had an all-star season. You know, Thibodeau, I don't know, Kenny coach? Thibodeau was good last year. Let's, he was a, we'll give him his credit. He was good. Fine, he was good. Um, but again, in typical New York Knicks fashion, they brought back the same roster as last season. By the way, thank God they didn't make it past the first round. Very <laughs> happy about that one. Um, they brought back the same roster as last season. They only added uh, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, and they let go of Reggie Bullock. But, you know, honestly speaking, I don't see them as that much better than they were last season. You know, in all honesty, they were a beneficiary of circumstances, and the East got better. Like, I can argue, so how many teams in the East I think got better? Miami got better. Um, Philadelphia is still good. Atlanta, I'd say Chicago, Toronto. Like, these are teams that have gotten better. And I don't think the New York Knicks have gotten any better. And their offense might be better than last season with Kemba Walker and, and Evan Fournier. But they're going to take a hit defensively because of those two guys. Because they're not good defenders. And I still have questions. Can Julius Randle replicate the success of last season? Now that everybody knows how to how to take Julius Randle, especially when we saw in the playoffs. And also, can Tom Thibodeau actually coach still in the modern era? I'm still... I still have my skepticism and questions, but I truly think the Knicks are going, might not make the playoffs next year. Well, here's my thing about the Knicks. Honestly, I think they did get better with adding Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, but the problem is I don't think they were as good as the record showed last season. And also, like you just mentioned, the East got a lot better. So do I think they got better? Me personally, yes, I do think they got better, but I don't think they'll be better on the statue or record wise but that's what matters at the end of the day like that's what dictates how good you actually are exactly and so that's where i stand personally with the knicks you know again will we be wrong on a lot of these history has shown yes we will be completely wrong on a lot of these unfortunately new york might be a lot better than we think we never know but we've also seen how the knicks run things and in all honesty listen, so have you knicks fans listen so. we're trying to humble you right now just accept it your team had been mediocre. You've had a glimpse of success, like just a little sliver of success. When you can put one of these on, then come talk to us. Yeah, not one from like 1973. Exactly. Uh, next up, at the 10th seed, we have the Indiana Pacers finishing with around 38-43 wins. Now, similar to, I think, the New York Knicks, like they have a pretty solid team. They finished ninth last year. They have a couple of good players. Um, RV, not Arvidas Sabonis, Demontis Sabonis, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Miles Turner, and then obviously with Karis LeVert having finally a training camp with the Indiana Pacers. Um, you know, they have a pretty solid team. They have a pro- couple of good players. Outside of that, though, they're not really that great. Um, you know, Rick Carlisle having them instead of a guy like Nate McMillan, Rick Carlisle may be able to get something else out of them. He's stability. That's what he brings. Yeah, but, and again, like, familiar face in the organization, but again, like I just said, they have a couple of good players, but the rest of that is just a mediocre, like an alright team. They're not anything too special. And with the way the rest of the East has gotten better, unfortunately, Indiana has always been those fringe playoffs teams. And, you know, like I said, with the East getting better, they'll probably be booted out of that playoff race. Yeah, and not to mention health. I mean, Karis LeVert's already coming off of 
coming off of injury. Miles Turner has also been coming been a bit banged up. So we really don't know how well they're going to hold up for, for a full season. TJ Warren might not even play. TJ Warren might not even play. So, yeah, the Pacers, again, it's just an all right team. But, again, not every team can make it to the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, which brings us into the next team. And, again, this is one of the other teams who were in playoff contention last year. Benefited from circumstances, but probably won't do so this season. It's the Charlotte Hornets. We're predicting about 36 to 40 wins. They finished 10th last season. Obviously, they lost in the play-in tournament, which knocked them back to the 10th seed. And they brought back pretty much the same roster as last year, except Devontae Graham. Like They lost Devontae Graham, but they added Kelly Oubre Jr. and Ish Smith. So, not, not, a, not bad. But they still get another year of LaMelo Ball and you know growth of the young guys, like obviously Miles Bridges, um, P.J. Washington, you know, and then they also drafted uh, James Booknight. Like they, they, they have a good collection of young players. But again, similar situation um, to what we what we said about the Knicks. The East got better, and the Hornets are still a young team that it's really hard to see them replicate the same level of success they had last season. Yeah, man, like it's a young team, like you said. It's they're inexperienced. They'll have a lot of fun. It'll definitely be again, once again, one of the most exciting teams to watch in the league. In terms of wins, though, they're probably not gonna be winning that much, which is all right. You know, they're not there on their timeline. And at least they seem to have more of a, di- a, a direction moving forward. They have an identity now, which is which is pretty cool. It's something they never had before. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So next up at the 12th seed, we have the Washington Wizards finishing with a 34 and 38, uh, you know, between 34 and 38 wins. They finished eighth last season. They made it to the playoffs. They got smacked. Um, they lost in, I think, five games. What was it? Um but similar to what I think I was saying about the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers in terms of them being all right to mediocre teams, and perhaps even in Washington's case, getting even better than they were last season, the record won't show it just because everyone else in the East got better. Now, if I take all the names that they added this season, I mean this offseason with Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrezl Harrell, to add to the guys who will improve for them this season, um, with Daniel Gafford, Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant, Denny Avdia, and then you add on Bradley Beal on top of that. Is that not a better team than they had last season? I would argue. I think that that's a better team than they had last season. Now, obviously, they don't have anybody close to Russell Westbrook again, but I think in terms of the team as a whole, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie arguably being a better fit next to Bradley Beal, it can be argued that this is probably a better Washington team than it was last season. But once again, my point is, Everyone else just got so much better. So the Washington Wizards, unfortunately, I don't see them making the playoffs. Please trade Bradley Beal. Just, just do it, man. Like, listen, man. The Wizards are just stuck in this mediocre mediocrity that they've just been in. You know, like they they really aren't really getting significantly better than the team that they're supposed to be getting better than. Um, now, yes, the roster looks a lot better than last year. I will say that hundred percent. But now you're talking about. But then now you're bringing up question marks. How healthy is Spencer Dinwiddie? Um, how consistent is KCP? Is can Kyle Cruz want to play basketball? Where's those injuries? <laughs> can someone find uh, Montrez Harrell and make him be effective again? Like again, all I'm seeing is question marks from their acquisition. You know, they still have Bradley Beal, which again is the main reason why they're going to win a lot of games. But the real question is, how good is this team? And to be honest, I don't see them, and we don't see them as a playoff team. Not to mention they have a new coach in Los Angeles. Exactly, new so. coach, new system. So 
it's going to be some growing pains. Which brings us into the 13th seed, and this is going to be a pleasant surprise. Uh, we have the Detroit Pistons being the, the 13th seed, about winning about 32 to 36 wins uh, in the upcoming season. They finished 15th, last, which was dead last in the Eastern Conference last year, but they arguably got better. You know, last season, near the end of the season, especially after they got rid of Blake Griffin and got rid of a lot of their vets, you really saw the scrappiness of this young team. You saw the potential of some of their young, their key young players like Sadiq Bey, Josh Jackson, you know, Killian Hayes. Like, it's not that bad of a, of a, of a team, of, of a young core when you, when you look at them. And obviously, Dwayne Casey just being a good developer, you know, but now when you look at it, they still have Jeremy Grant, who, personally speaking, I think the Pistons should look to trade him because his value is sky high right now. They added a guy like Kelly Olenek, a solid veteran presence who is going to be able to give you production and help you win games. And then they drafted Kate Cunningham number one overall. You know, as much as everyone loves Jalen Green for his flash and everything that he brings, if we're talking about the best overall player, I still think it's Kate Cunningham. And he, I, I really think him paired with the young talent on this team will help this team win a lot more than they were doing last season. Listen, man, Troy, I think, has some of a bright future, finally. You know, Cade Cunningham, um, Killian Hayes, hopefully, you know, he can kind of find his footing a little bit. Sadiq Bey was amazing for amazing. them. Amazing for them. Um, you know, you add Kelly Olenek in addition to Jeremy Grant, who you already have, and then a guy like Isaiah Stewart holding it down for you at the center spot. They have a nice team. They have a nice young team. Um, they'll definitely, at least, I think they're on the right track is what I want to say. So, you know, will they win many games? I don't think so. But they're definitely, I think, on the right track in terms of what they want to do. Last point about the Pistons before we move on. You know, obviously, they're paying Blake Griffin buyout with $29 million. But next season, they're going to have a lot of cap space. So maybe they'll go after a couple of free agents as well. So they have some. they have some a good future ahead of them. Which brings us into... The 14th seed, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're projecting about 29 to 34 wins for the Cavs. Now, last season, they finished with the 13th seed, the 13th seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, they still have uh, Sexland, uh, you know, uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. They added Evan Mobley, and they re-signed Jared Allen. So their offseason was relatively, you know, pretty good. But then you look at the roster, and then I'm, I'm looking at the roster, and I'm like, you have to trade Kevin Love. You should trade Kevin Love. How the hell are you going to do it? You owe him $30 million both this year and next year. I don't know a team that's going to willing to take them on. And then that, not to mention, they have so many big men now. They have Kevin Love. They have Jared Allen, who they just resigned. They drafted Evan Mobley. And they also traded for Lowry Markkinen. Um, Interesting. That's, that's four big men, and they really don't play well together. Uh, not really sure how that works. And they're just Cleveland, man. Honestly speaking, they're pretty trash. Well, Colin Sexton, they have been trying to trade him, which, again, kind of makes sense based on what they're trying to do with, you know, Darius Garland's their guard of the future. Colin Sexton doesn't really fit what they want to do. Um, and not to mention that they don't want to pay him, so it kind of makes sense in that aspect. So, you know, a lot of this may hinge on what they're able to get back for Colin Sexton. But that's the thing. Other unfortunately, other the, teams know that the Cavs are trying I, to trade him. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. The market is, yeah. just isn't there. Yeah, it's just not there, man. It's just, it's, Cleveland is just not great. Which brings us into the final seed of the Eastern Conference. 
it's going to be the Orlando Magic. They are, we're projecting a 25 to 30 win, being generous, of that course. Might, yeah, that's probably going to be generous. Last season, they finished with a 14th, uh, 14th seed. But the Magic are in a full-scale scale rebuild. You know, obviously, they have some good players like Markel Fultz. I still really like Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac, if he can stay healthy. And now they also drafted Jalen Suggs. Who was, who's been good. Who, who's been, been a good player, which we, which we expected him to be. But man, they they're trash. Like, they're trash. I'm sorry, man. They're 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 intentionally they're trying to be bad. Um, they have some good picks. They have a good amount of picks, though. But knowing Orlando's history, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but that but those were our picks for the Eastern Conference predictions. Let us know what you guys think on social media or on the comment section on YouTube. Which brings us to the up and under segment for this week. First off, are you up or under on Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving among player the, the many play the few players who could miss home games due to being unvaccinated? Um, I'm under on it. Uh, I think the stat is 90% of players have been vaccinated, 10 are unvaccinated. Now again, I'm not going to speak to whether or not they want to get vaccinated. That's not you know something for me to speak on. If they don't want to get vaccinated, that's on them. You know they can do that. But unfortunately, I'm under on the fact that. This is going to be a weird season, again, and this will continue. It's been a weird couple of seasons, and this will probably be another weird one because of the fact that if guys like Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins are missing games and home games at that, which is half the season, what in the world will the NBA look like this season, (laughs) right? So, like I mentioned, with these episodes that we do when we're doing these predictions, we always end up getting them wrong, first of all, because it's impossible to predict an NBA season. But especially in the last few years, where it's been even more impossible well, to yeah, predict when things, it. When, like, you don't know what player is going to play on what day. But my take on this is, why doesn't the NBA just mandate vaccines? I know you want to give them a choice, which is fine. But in this situation, you need to either A, put very heavy restrictions so that it basically kind of forces people to get vaccinated, players to get vaccinated. It's what like, I think the NHL, no, the NFL is doing that. With their protocol. Well, the difference is that it's not the NBA that's mandating this, basically. It's the states that are mandating this. So Kyrie won't be able to play because it's New York State. But the NBA could also make a mandatory vaccine. Yeah, well, then the issue with that is at that point, you know, you could have guys just not play, which, I mean, that's their choice if they don't want to play. But it'll be, it's going to be a weird season once again. And. That's kind of just where we are, <laughs> where we're at Pretty now. Much, man. Uh, next up, are you up or under on the Timberwolves abruptly firing their president of basketball operations, Garson Rosas, after staff reportedly voiced concerns about him, not to mention that he was reportedly having some, uh, undergoing some other activities in the organization, and they promoted um, Sachin Gupta as their interim president. So are you up or under on this whole situation? I'm under the Timberwolves. They can't do anything right. Like even under new ownership, which again they have probably haven't taken an effect yet, they still can't do anything right. Like Garson Rosas was there and he was making some moves. Um, the team's still trash, but <laughs> now he's gone too. Like <laughs> again, we're all questioning like why this happened, based on the reports that came out, and also apparently there was some actual evidence of stuff happening picture wise. So. Again, if that's all true, that makes sense as to why it happened. But this is just the stuff that bad teams get hit with when you have when you have a non-existent culture and just organization who doesn't know what they're doing. 
this type of stuff always just keeps happening. Why? Because there's no direction in an organization. Again, this isn't necessarily Minnesota's fault, but it's just one of those things that happens with bad organizations because they're just bad organizations. Like how many coaches and front offices have they changed over the last, like, over Carl Anthony Towns' tenure? Like, I wouldn't be mad if Carl Anthony Towns asked for a trade. Sh- Listen, man, sh- first sh- of all, Chris Finch, now we don't know what's going to happen with Chris Finch, to be honest. Yeah, if Minnesota's not going to be good, which they probably won't be. Um, Second of all, for Minnesota and Sacramento fans, I will say, I don't blame you if you want to bandwagon another team at this point. Sacramento fans, Minnesota fans, I give you the bandwagon pass, officially. (laughs) Yeah, because your team is so trash. It's, it's, I don't know how I would do that. Listen, man, we dealt with a couple of bad years as Raptors fans. We have Andrea Bargnani, man. We, we, we get it. But, but. I don't think it can compare to like Minnesota and Sacramento. Yeah, levels those, of are, that. those are bad. <laughs> those are very, very bad. Yeah. Moving on, are you up or under on the Nuggets and Aaron Gordon agreeing to a four-year, $92 million extension? I'm up on it because this, I guess, I didn't really know how they would do this, but they were able to get it done, which is, it's a steep price for Aaron Gordon, but the issue is the Denver Nuggets don't need Aaron Gordon to be some 20-point guy. That's not what they need from him. They need Aaron Gordon to do exactly what he's been doing, which is be their best wing defender, score like 15 points a game. And is this a steep price for a guy, uh, you know, a producer like that? Yeah, it is. But again, this is what the market value is for a guy like Aaron Gordon. And it's not going to get... Denver doesn't really have any other choices except to do this. And again, if they're able to win a championship with the team that they have when they all get healthy, then nobody's going to be questioning the contract. And they can definitely win a championship with this team as long as, again, Jamal Murray hopefully gets healthy. Well, it also extends Denver's championship window because now they don't necessarily have to make it or break it this year because now they have the core kind of another couple, another couple of years. But I, it's a steep price. It definitely is a steep price for Aaron Gordon. Hopefully it works out. Like, I'm not rooting against him. Like, obviously, Aaron Gordon was good for Denver last season. I'm just saying that it's it's a bit of it's a, it's a risk, obviously, in the move. Yeah, and finally, are you up or under on J.J. Redick um, announcing his retirement after 15, se- uh, after 15 seasons? So, happy retirement, J.J. Redick. I mean, I'm up on it, man. Like, J.J. is consummate professional, man. He's just been a solid player throughout his career. A uh, great podcaster as well. Um, yeah, man. Like, just he's just had a great career overall, man. And, and uh, one of the greatest college players we ever saw. Pretty much. Like the amount of hate this guy had in college from other colleges was probably unmatched, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But yeah, JJ, congrats on the career, man. Happy retirement. Um, and with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, YouTube, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Upletter and Under Podcast, Facebook.com slash Up and Under Podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. Definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, uptounderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where we write blog posts with every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen or watch the full episode, you can read about it on our website. Definitely check that out if you haven't done so already. Yeah, man. Um, training camps are going to just about begin. And within the next few weeks, man, we're, we're going to be starting a brand new NBA season. So Finally. Finally, man. Ball's back. 
But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.